How to use schema to enhance your eats with Alex Moss. The Insert SEO podcast is brought to you by SimilarWeb, helping you build better SEO strategies with digital intelligence, insights, and data. Hey, it's David. What does schema have to do with eat, and how does schema influence eat? That's what we're covering today with a man who has over 20 years of experience in every aspect of the SEO industry from in-house, freelancer agency, employee and agency owner. Over the years, he's built everything from popular plugins to custom-made WordPress themes and frameworks and, relatedly, is now Principal SEO at Yoast, as well as Director at Firecask. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Alex Moss. Hey, hey, David. Thanks for having me. It's good to uh, be here after quite a bit of time not speaking to each other on a podcast level. But uh, but yeah, no, it's exciting to uh, to be on here. Cheers. Yeah, thanks so much, Alex. And um, yeah, we were just talking beforehand. We've um, last talked in a podcast, I think it was about um, up to 10 years ago. It could have been absolutely incredible how time flies by. Well, I'll just find you can find um, Alex over at alex-moss.co.uk. So Alex, why is schema important for EAT? Why isn't it? So, I mean, there's so much that goes into schema. I don't know how to not get lost, so I'll try and be as structured as I can. Um, but first, what's, what is EAT? What's EAT? That stands for ex- expertise, experience, trust, and authority. Authority and trust, sorry. And um, it's kind of been the same ethos for years and years and years that Google has given out in their webmaster guidelines and their rating systems of just don't abuse the algorithm and be honest and helpful to users. EAT is probably just um, something that's been born from more elaboration that's needed, more direction on exactly how people should form pages to be helpful to the user. And that is very content related, but content can be just flat. If you've just got a page with a title, meta description, and just text that it's good, but it's not enough for Google to understand. And it needs to know a couple of things so it can form its part of knowledge graph. A knowledge graph is your big database of what things are and how they connect with each other, which I'll kind of do geek to English in a sec. But in that, it's all formed part of entities in SEO. And entities, that data is populated via structured data. And schema is the most globally recognized one out there. You've got others like open graphs that meta use. Um, but this one is the best way of forming structured data. Now, how does that relate to EEAT? The more you populate in schema and the more relevant it is, and the more information you provide, not just from a website or organization level, but also a product level, it provides more information, correct and structured information for Google to interpret that entity in the best way possible on search results. So if I do the geek to English, let's talk about apples and oranges. What did I, what did you get when I just said apples and oranges? What did you just think about then? What did I think about I guess um, I thought about the importance of um, not assuming that someone else is um, talking about something and to seek clarification that um, they mean what they're talking about. Exactly. So people, if they say apples and oranges, which is a phrase, right? That That's a phrase about two fruits and, and, and that's just a phrase that happens. But to me, Apple is a technology firm that sells iPads and Macs and so on. And then you've got orange, which 
uh, at least in the UK and Europe, is a mobile cellular operator. I don't know if they operate in America, um, but Orange is a brand. You know, it's actually, I think it actually legally, it legally had copyright over their hex code of Orange as well, things like that. So how does Google know the difference between an Apple that I can eat and Apple, the brand? And that is done via schema. You know, schema populates that entity. So Google, through the knowledge graph, can understand that there are two forms of Apple. One is the fruit, one is the technology firm. And therefore, it will need to, from a semantic point of view, understand what you're trying to search for and give you those results based on the fact that is it either a fruit or a tech firm. Now, it can do that through a number of ways. If you just search Apple, it will go on what's probably the most popular and most searched for term, which will be the tech firm, because generally everyone knows what the fruit is and how much research do you really need to do into an Apple compared to Apple as a brand. Um, so, so there's that. But as well as that, it, it also informs future searches as well, because I know if I search for Apple, my next search will be related to the technology entity, which again is all populated through schema. And the more that's done, and the more things are connected, not just on apple.com, but elsewhere, the more things are connected with the knowledge graph, the more Google will validate that data and the connected data between them, and therefore provide that site or entity with more authority, which is the element of EEAT. I hope I've done that in a nice nutshell for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've certainly advocated the value of schema, but... Um... How important is it to content marketing teams? Can content teams simply write content and then pass the content over to SEOs to apply schema? Or do content teams have to be aware of how schema operates? A little bit of both. I mean, I would say probably the former because the technical person will be able to implement anything that isn't already inside the CMS that a content marketer should do. So I'd say your content marketer should be able to populate as much as possible that they can do without technical ability if they have none. So as an example, in Yoast, you can you can populate a lot of schema, both on a site-wide website organization level, but also on a page and product level. So if we go back to using trainers, for example, and you're trying to content market that, you will make a product page. From a content marketer's point of view, that content has to be really helpful to the user, have as much as much helpful content as possible that isn't going a bit too far and just made for the search engine. Also, that shoe is its own entity. Well, trainer is a form of shoe. I mean, we're already going into entities and schema there. And in, in, in certain countries, maybe, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> true, true. And then underneath that, what's the comfort like? What is it made out of? What's the exterior? Is it laced? Is it not laced? You know, um, what color is it? What size is it? All of those things. Whilst we think of them as simple variables inside a product, again, all of those things are part of schema. And as well as that, from a content marketing point of view, you don't want people coming on to, let's say you are in a niche and you only make shoes for people with large feet, right? But you don't go into detail about the fact that you only deal with size 12 onwards because it's for large footed people. I might go on there, but then get really annoyed. It's not helpful for me because that shoe is not in my size because I don't have a size 15 foot, right? I have a, a more average size foot and therefore I can't benefit. But if you actually populate that within schema, as well as within the content, it gives more relevant results, which actually connects to other things, which is why schema is so important. That'll connect to things like Merchant Center. 
And you shouldn't, if I'm looking for size nine, for example, that shoe I've just described should not appear within merchant sensor because of the information that should be given. Right. So I'm not, I can get the best result. If I was a size 15, there'd be a whole different layer of, of result. And from content marketing point of view, that may, that will give you EAT for the fact that in, if you're in that niche brand and you appear more so for the large footed person, that large footed person is going to trust you more to buy another pair of shoes. And that's why I think it is important still, whilst it's a technical implementation, tools out there have made it more helpful for a content marketer to understand that. But that's just a product, you know, that can be a service where you can use FAQ schema, which I should actually say has been removed from SERPs or was removed from SERPs earlier this year, but kind of come back a little bit. We've seen a few people have seen results of it flattening, you know, inside search console, it goes down to zero when they announced it. And now a few people, are, including Yoast.com have seen upticks in it and things like that is interesting because Google took away your FAQ schema because it was being abused a bit too much. But that didn't mean that FAQ schema should be removed completely. It still means that you should use it from even from a content marketing point of view, because you never know when Google will change their minds like they might have done here. So that's just one. FAQ is just one thing, but it works with so many variations of that entity. Even things like you know, organization has been updated just in the last couple of weeks, and it's included things like contact point. These were all things that were already there in schema, but I'm talking specifically about what Google is now supporting. And, um, they add stuff like headcount, maximum number of employees. If you don't have a physical address, you can still have an email and a phone contact. And those things are things that they're adding support for. And it's very important schema, the fact that I'm also seeing Google concentrate a lot on it. Just before this call, I counted at least 15 changes or updates in schema, including a couple of deprecations. But more interestingly, out of those 15 that I saw in the updates page, 11 of them have happened since September 1st. So they're making a lot of changes. And I do believe that may be around the fact that it, it wants schema to be interpreted in the best way possible by its AI models and LLMs, which is a whole other reason why it's important to populate schema. Absolutely. And going back to EAT in relation to schema, I keep on wanting to call it EAT. I know it's E-E-A-T, but I'm sorry, EAT sounds better. You know what I mean. Uh, so um, in relation to that and the extra E, so experience, that's probably going to be have, have, have greater impact, have great, greater pr prominence, importance in 2024. Um, so how do you optimize your schema to demonstrate experience? Well, you can add more information. Let's use me as an example on my homepage. I haven't done all the way on schema, but I can add things like, what am I actually specifically skilled at? So not only can I say my career base is, is SEO, but I can actually have more information underneath that, just as there are skill niche skill levels underneath SEO and organic marketing in general. So I can say I'm a specialist in WordPress. I'm a specialist in Yoast. I can also say I work for Yoast as well as own an agency. So those things, that schema for me alone is creating that experience that I have. It'll know, well, sorry, it'll know. I will, I will declare information that it can then validate. The fact that I've owned Firecask since 2003, it's just gone on 10 years. So 
it should then connect that with the fact that I'm connected to my LinkedIn account. My LinkedIn account connects me to Firecast. Google will know that that page of the company page will have been there for 10 years. And therefore it kind of confirms and validates what the schema entry I put in is correct or not. And when it does that, that's just adding to the knowledge graph and improves my personal EAC because it's all be able to validate that I am a specialist in SEO. I, I do work for Yoast. I've confirmed that because I have a profile page for me on Yoast.com, which I have also declared in schema on my personal page. So all of those connections that you make and even to social profiles enhances the EAT. I know that Mordy um, Orberstein from Wix, he discussed in a previous podcast from SimilarWeb, he mentioned that he did a test on baseball figures because he's really into baseball. And they both have a profile page on MLB, these two players that he just used as an example. But one of them got higher authority because they're more active on X than the other one, right? And the way that he found out that they were getting a bit more visibility was that was the only variable, was more X activity, which actually is weird, right? I'm implying, or Maud is implying, that maybe more search, more social activity on platforms like X, Insta, you know, that the big monopolized ones can actually enhance your EAT of your web presence, which is crazy, right? So that may a marketer, a content marketer, go and say, well, actually this validates the fact that we need to do more social and we need to connect it more to other entities within our own domain. And we need to connect that with external. It kind of backs up digital PR and content marketing from a technical point as well as a content and marketing point. But the scary thing is, um, does that mean that a reduction in the amount of social activity could actually have a negative impact on your brand authority as well? Maybe. Because I see that I'm not as visible as I used to be, but I've, as the years have gone on, have used social less. I mean, I think uh, from a, I, I used X mostly for work um, and always have done, but I kind of just went away from it. A few years ago, it just wasn't something that was of interest to maintain. Because as we all know, social media maintenance is high. It's never ending and it gets wider as every year passes. And even now I, I think, oh, I'm all old now. I can't be on TikTok. What's a 16-year-old going to get from me right now? But the answer is actually that 16-year-old may be an SEO in the future, maybe into WordPress in the future. And actually, maybe I something I do say or can say on TikTok can influence that person. I'm not, I don't describe myself as an influencer whatsoever because I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers and I'm not selling products all the time every day. But those people are actually enhancing their EEAC by being influencers, just by being present which can then help their other assets. So if I compare myself to another Alex Moss, that might be the best way. I was the most authoritative Alex Moss. And through the years, I've had to not fight with my own authority, but fight with my own name's authority. So one year, example, there's a quite a popular reality TV show called The Only Way is Essex in, in the UK. And the boyfriend of one of the female characters, can I call them? cast members, they, that person got done for ABH or GBH, you know, for hitting this girlfriend. His name was Alex Moss, right? Or is Alex Moss. He went to jail. But then because I have alerts on my own name, I started getting, well, clearly I'm not the person who, you know, hit Gemma Collins in the face, you know, weirdly, that was how I got a blue tick originally on Twitter. 
because I had to differentiate myself. I had to distinguish from, as an entity from the other Alex Motts who was painted in a more negative light. And that was a good example of EAT happening at the time without it being defined back then, because that was a good few years ago. But more recently, there's another Alex Moss who's based in New York, and he's a jeweler for, ha for rappers and high-end, you know, football players. So he makes like the necklace for Drake and Tyler and the Creator. He's more influential than I am, even though when we think from an, an entity point of view, we're different people. He's a jeweler. I'm an online marketer, but on Google, if you search for Alex Moss, it might not know who you want to search for. So now my EAT from an objective point of view is less so than the other Alex Moss and he will win ranking, which is weird because he's more, much more active on social because he's got, he's got jewelry porn essentially on his Instagram. Like, look at this like 100, 200, 300 grand ring that I just sold for Drake. It gets in the news. It gets publicity. He gets publicity. None that I'm getting, you know, at most I might get mixed up with that person on Twitter and they'll tag me and I'll say, thank you. Me and Tyler, the creator go way back, you know, even though I've never met him and weird because I even, well, my name is in lyrics of a Tyler, the creator album and people, I started tweeting saying that it thanks, thanks for, you know, memorizing me in one of your songs. And people thought it was, I, why, how do you know him? You know? No, it's the other. It's the other entity, right? It's it's a it's a great thought. Yeah. So essentially, you're not competing against other digital marketers, other other SEOs. If that's what you be uh, want to be known by, you're competing against other people with the exact same name as you are from a schema perspective. Yeah. So that's like Apple, the brand, fighting against a fruit on SERPs. You know, they know they're not a fruit, but yet they're still in competition. Well, they're not anymore, but. Now I feel bad for Apple the fruit because Apple the brand have just totally taken the EAT of the generic brand. Because if I was to say Apple to someone, they will automatically, I believe, think of the tech company and not the... But it's context, because earlier on, obviously you were saying to me, what do you think by apples and oranges? But if you said, what do you think by Apple, singular, then obviously that would be a different perception. Interesting. And that's what, and that's what Google's hard task is is to interpret what we're thinking as we're typing and and that that's where schema comes in because it validates it and provides that information if there was no schema at all and no knowledge graph google will have a much harder time distinguishing whether you're thinking of the fruit or the tech company let's finish off with the Pareto pickle so Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Helpful content and connecting schema with that content. If you want to talk about that trainer again, get as much content as you can, but also think about the merchant center. Take better photos because people use Google Lens a lot more and make sure that not only is that content helpful, but it's not too short, but also not too long. Don't think about the search engine when you're writing as a content marketer. Think about the user and nothing else. I feel like this is obviously old, old, um, old hat. Um, feedback, but still it's the same thing. EAT is just the same as the guidelines that were made 20 years ago. The advice is the same. Just be helpful to the user. Stop, stop thinking about the search engine and just think how easy can that journey be? One, not only to, for them to find you on Google, but once they're on the site, that's, 
that's where the real battle begins. How also is your words and your content marketing and SEO going to help them trust all the way to the end of the journey and convert? I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Alex Moss over at alex-moss.co.uk. Alex, thanks so, thanks so much for being on the Insert SEO podcast. Very welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Similar Web platform over at similarweb.com.